are we this morning? How are you guys doing? I'll take that. My name is Christian Root. I am the associate pastor here at the Vineyard, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet. And, and I'm excited that we're going to be continuing our series today that we've called Through the Bible which we've been walking successively through each book in the Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And if you've been keeping score at home, this is part 52 of our series. I, I think I was about 14 when Pastor Tom started uh, this, this series. But here we are. We're almost at the end, actually. We're in the book of Hebrews and so we just have a few more books to go, and I, I'm just I'm particularly excited to get to dive into this book with you all this morning. And so why don't we pray together, and then we can, we can open up God's Word. So would you pray with me? God, in, in thinking through this text, I, I'm just acutely aware of my inadequacy, God, of, of, of communicating such beautiful truths. Would you empower me, God? Would you fill me? Would you help me to share in a way that glorifies you today, God? Would you fill me with your power? And I pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would, would grant the gift of salvation in this place today, God. Pray that you would give an encouraging word to the hurting, God. You would give a challenging word to those of us who need it, Father. We love you, Jesus. We love you. You are worthy of everything. Please be with me in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, if you've been with us for a while, you know that each week during this series, we start the message by looking at the context of the book, the background of the book. And the book of Hebrews is a, a bit unique within the New Testament canon because we are not actually sure who wrote this book. The author never introduces themselves, never gives away their identity. And, and while many different authors have been proposed over the centuries by various scholars, people like the Apostle Paul or Barnabas or Apollos or Luke or Clement, it seems that the early church father Origen probably was correct when he wrote in the third century, who actually wrote this epistle? Only God knows. Many of you are aware that the even though we call this the book of Hebrews, it was actually a letter. It was written to a, a small church. And the recipients of this letter were most likely a small group of Christians who had formerly participated in the Jewish faith and were living in and around Rome. We also know that this small group of Christians had been subject to pretty intense persecution and that they were under the threat of renewed persecution in the future. And because of this threat of persecution, some within their community had abandoned the faith, had returned to their Jewish roots in order to avoid further suffering. And just by way of background, this isn't, this isn't in my notes, but I, I think it's helpful for us. Most scholars believe that these, these Christians living in or around Rome lived in the mid-60s, that this letter was written around the mid-60s in the first century. And this would have been when the emperor Nero was in command of the Roman Empire. And the Roman emperor Nero was particularly cruel, particularly brutal towards Christians. He, he, would, he would take Christians and put them on poles and pour, pour gas on their heads and then light them on fire that they, they would light up his garden parties at night. It's... It's told by historians that, that every few months or so, 
various Christians would be rounded up from around the empire that were sitting in jail somewhere, and that upwards of 500 Christians would be crucified at the same time, at the same time. And, and you know, many of us might not be aware that, that most crucifixions actually lasted a lot longer than Jesus' crucifixions, that most crucifixions lasted upwards of five to seven days. And so hundreds of Christians would be lined out in the streets of Rome or outside the city of Rome. They would be stripped naked. They would be left to die, gasping for, for air days at a time. And, and so imagine that this small group of Christians living in or around Rome, and they're walking to work or they're walking to the market, and they see their, their brothers, their sisters, their parents, their children, their spouse, gasping for breath on a cross. That's the type of, of persecution this kind that this church was, was undergoing. It wasn't simply that they were told, you know, happy holidays around, around Christmas, the kind of persecution that, you know, that we, we like to fret about in the West. This, this, was, this was life or death for these followers of Jesus. And you can see why then there would be a, gr- a great temptation to return back to their Jewish roots to deny their faith. And so that's the context of the book that we're diving into today. And if you've been here in previous weeks, you know that each week in this series, we choose one passage in the book that we refer to as the hot spot, which we dive into in order to, to receive God's word for our community. And so today we're going to be camping out at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. And so if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, just four short verses but four verses full of power, full of power that, that I think we need to hear today. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And here's what we read. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Now, the author of Hebrews here is referring to those Jewish priests who were serving at the temple in Jerusalem performing the sacrifices under the laws and the regulations that were instituted by Moses in the Old Testament. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, and and that is Jesus he's referring to, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Amen. Amen. In verse 11, we see that the the Jewish priests are offering sacrifices for the Jewish people day after day in the temple. But these sacrifices, they don't have the power to take away sin. They don't have the power, in other words, to cleanse people of their guilt. And we know this, of course, because the people had to keep coming back. They had to keep coming back. That each and every year, the temple looked like a petting zoo filled with with goats and and sheep and and doves because the people recognized that the sins that they had, the sacrifices, rather, that they had offered the previous year hadn't perfected them, hadn't cleansed them of their guilt. But in verse 12, we're told that Jesus, our new high priest, offered a sacrifice, and then, and I I want you to catch this, church, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, this language, it would have been extremely significant to the Jewish background believers who were reading this, because in the temple, 
the priests, they, they never sat. In fact, there weren't even chairs set up in the temple. When the priests were present in the temple, they either worked or they stood, but they never sat. And the priest stood as a way of symbolically stating that as priests, their work was never done. It's always fresh sacrifices to be made. There was always fresh guilt that had to be dealt with. And so it would have been scandalous to the ears of a Jew at this time to hear that Jesus offered a sacrifice for sins and that he then sat down. Do you you see what the writer of, of Hebrews is doing? He's saying that Jesus, our high priest, did what none of the other priests could do under the old temple system. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins that ended the need for any sacrifices to be made ever, ever. Amen. Amen. And and why was Jesus' sacrifice sufficient? why Why did it end the need for all sacrifices at all times? It was because Jesus came to earth both fully God and fully man. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. He lived the life that you and I should live, but can't and and don't. And as this perfect, sinless man, fully God, fully man, he went willingly to the cross and suffered on our behalf. The wrath of God, the punishment of God was poured out on Jesus that our sins, that our betrayal, that our duplicity might be paid for, that our debt might be paid, and that we might be forgiven. And after offering himself as a substitute, he sat down, because again, his sacrifice was sufficient. And so I want you to think about this with me for a second. Let's let's chat about this for a second. 2,000 years ago, before any of us in this room was born, Jesus had already offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, and he was already seated. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, the first time you sinned as a follower of Jesus, probably 20 minutes into your walk with him, maybe 10 minutes for for some of us, Jesus, he was still seated. And, And the first time you really sinned as a follower of Jesus, perhaps even blew up your life, made a terrible mistake, Jesus was still seated. And despite the fact that Jesus is currently aware of every sin that you're going to commit in the future, we know this, right? Every sin that you're going to commit moving forward, he's aware of, and yet he's still seated. And and he's still seated because there's nothing left for him to do. Are are, are you tracking with this? Does this make sense this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, the payment for your sins has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus, and there's nothing that you could do that would warrant Jesus getting out of his seat to make another payment on your behalf. There's just nothing you could do. Your sin has been paid in full. It's not getting up. And look, I realize that for those of us who grew up in church, this is, this is probably not new information for you. If you've been around the church for a while, I'm probably not blowing your mind theologically, right? You've heard this message if you've been around church for a while, but I I just, I think it's so important to drill this in over and over and over because for many of us, this is just a hard concept for us to get our minds around, or or for, for many of us, it's hard to move this from our head down into our hearts, For many of us, 
like the priests in the Jewish temple, we continue to bring sacrifices to God day after day in the hopes of appeasing him, in the hopes of covering up our our lingering sense of of guilt, and in the hopes of of receiving the favor and the love that that we desperately desire. I I mean, have have you seen this in your own life? Have you found that, that when, you, when you wake up early, you set that alarm, you know, at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, seven, whatever's early for you, and you go downstairs and you make yourself a cup of coffee and you find your most comfortable chair and you open up the Word of God or you start to pray, that the love of God just feels closer to you on, than on days in which you hit the snooze seven times and, and, and hurry off to work? Have you found that when... That when you, you work up the nerve to share your faith with a coworker, when when you serve, when you bite your tongue, when you when you're feeling particularly obedient and holy and close to God, have you found that in these moments the love, the acceptance, the the pleasure of God just feels closer? And have you found in your own life that when you've slept in, that when you haven't cracked open the Bible, when you've been short with your spouse and you've been angry towards your kid and you're beeping at folks in traffic, have you found that in these moments the love of God just feels distance? Have you found that the the love of God just feels far from you? That there's this lingering sense of God's disappointment in you. You know, the reason it's easy for us to feel right with God when we've performed the tasks on our self-made checklist, when we've performed these little performances, is that really the These are simply sacrifices that we're bringing to God in order to appease him, in order to gain his approval and his love. And we might not articulate it in these terms, but that's exactly what's happening, isn't it? Like the priest that we read about in verse 11, day after day we perform our religious duties in the hopes of finally finding peace with God, in the hopes of finally finding acceptance. But just like the priest, we're we're pursuing a dead end, aren't we? Pursuing a dead end. You know, listen, some of us live our entire lives as if we're in a perpetual job interview with the Lord, in which we're continually trying to prove our worth and showcase our merit. And this is a terrible way to go through life, isn't it? This is a terrible way to go through life. I've never met anyone who says, you know what I love? You know what I love? I love the job interview process. You know, sometimes I apply for jobs I don't even want just because I, I love the process. I, I love being scrutinized by people across the table. I, I love it when my accomplishments are probed. I, I love it when I'm evaluated. I love it when my worth is assessed. It just, you know, makes me warm and fuzzy inside. And, and I know I joke, but but, but again, I want to stress, this is a terrible way to go through life. This is exhausting to continually feel the need to justify God's love for you, to continually feel the need to justify your own existence. And, and some of us here, I, I just believe, I mean, quite frankly, some of us here are just tired. You're just tired of, of day after day being on this treadmill of proving yourself, proving yourself that you're haunted by this lingering sense that you need to do more and you need to do more and you need to do more. You're haunted by this lingering sense that you need to be more. You need to be more. 
And God has so much more for you than this life. And if you see this pattern playing out in your life, if you see this pattern of continually trying to bring your self-made sacrifices to the Lord, Jesus' message to you and me, it's, it's really quite simple. Jesus' message to us this morning, with all affection, is to get our stuff off of his altar. It's to get our stuff off his altar. Because the altar of Jesus is covered with his own blood that he willingly shed for his people, for their righteousness, and he doesn't need our imperfect sacrifices. He doesn't need our prayer life. He doesn't need our tithe money. He doesn't need our service to the poor. He doesn't need our volunteering to dirty up his altar. The altar of Jesus is, is covered with his blood. It's perfect, spotless, sinless blood. And he doesn't need our little self-made sacrifices. And, and it's possible that you're even here today, you're attending church because you've told God that, that you want to, to turn your life around, that you want to straighten your life out. You want to follow a better road. You want to be a better person. And, and you know, if that's you today, I, I just want you to know I'm so glad that you are here. And the Lord is so, so glad that you are here. But, but I, I want to make sure this morning that you're not confusing your obedience, which is what brought you here, with your acceptance before the Lord. Because our prayer life and Tithing and coming to church, these things are important. These things are valuable, but these are not things that make us acceptable before God. It is the blood of Jesus on the altar that matters. And anything that we bring to try to gain our own favor, to try to showcase our own merit, only dirties up the altar of Jesus. Just doesn't need it. Just doesn't need it. Let's read verse 11 through 14 one last time, and we're going to get ready to close here. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And, and I, I just, I love verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And this verse means exactly what it says. You know, when we become followers of Jesus, a great exchange takes place where all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our betrayal is placed on Jesus on the cross where it is condemned and judged and where its punishment is received. All of our sin, all of our junk is placed on Jesus. But further... But further, all of Jesus' perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness is accredited to our account as well, is placed on those of us who are in Christ. So that when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our duplicity and our brokenness and our sin. He sees the righteous obedience of Christ. Sees the perfect record of Christ. You know what, if you've never... If you've never thought about the gospel and, and thought, you know what, this is just too good to be true. This just doesn't make sense. I, 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 would, I would argue with you this morning that you've never truly understood the good news of Jesus. 
This is too good to be true, that the perfect record, the perfect righteousness of Christ would be accredited to your account. You are made perfect in the eyes of the Father. Made perfect. And verse 14 also affirms what we already know by experience, which is that those of us who have been declared perfect before the Father still don't have everything figured out in life and are still sinners. And so we're told in verse 14 that he is made perfect forever, and then he transitions to the present tense, those who are being made holy. So we're declared perfect and righteous before the Father, and yet there's still this part of us that that isn't completely as it should be. And so over time, as the Spirit of God fills us as believers, our motivations and our, our heart's desires and our behaviors, our affections, line up more and more with the affections and the desires and the motivations of Jesus. That's what it means to be made holy, that your li- life is gradually becoming more and more like His. So we are made perfect forever as we are being made holy. And listen, the greatest fight of the Christian life is to believe that this is really true. This is the greatest battleground. This is the greatest fight of the Christian life, to believe that verse 14 is true, that because you are in Christ, you have been made perfect forever. If this is a struggle for you, you should not be surprised because... There's very much a war going on for your heart. There is a fight for your heart. And nowhere is this fight, make no mistake about it, nowhere is this fight fought more fiercely than at this very point. You are accepted, you are valued, you are made perfect through Jesus. And so as your, as your, your pastor, as one of the pastors here, I just, I encourage you, I, I plead with you. I, I don't know what, what kind of language I, I can use that would be more strong. I, I plead with you to, to get your nose in a Bible each day and, and to find time to carve out space for prayer so that you can fight this battle well, so that your mind can be renewed, so that you can be reminded of who you truly are, which is a son or daughter of God that is loved, that is valued, that is safe, that is accepted. Because what you're going to find is that this, this fight is going to come to your doorstep whether or not you're utilizing the right weapons or not, right? Like if, if you head to the sidelines and say, you know what, I, I'm just going to sit this one out, the door, the fight is still coming to your doorstep. We, we don't get out of this fight as long as we've got air in our lungs. And so I, I just I plead with you to fight this battle well, to utilize the right weapons, to allow this message of grace to just sink down deeper and deeper and deeper into your heart. We don't graduate from this message, guys. We, we don't move on to further and bigger and better things. This is, this is where we return again and again and again to be reminded that we are accepted and affirmed and made perfect in Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus... Your heavenly Father desperately wants you to receive and rejoice in this beautiful truth that you are accepted before Him. Because like all good fathers, He delights in His children's awareness of their acceptance. He he delights in your awareness and your joy 
in your rest in the fact that, that you have been accepted by him, like all good fathers. Many of you know that I have a two-year-old son named Sam, and I think we have a, a picture of him. That's my son. This has no relevance at all to the message, but I make my own slides, and so I try to brag on this kid whenever I can and show him off. His name's Sam. He's two and a half. And every night before I, I put my two-and-a-half-year-old son to bed, we go through a little ritual in, in which I, I pick up my son and I ask him a series of very serious questions. And, and so I pick up my son every night and I look him in the eyes and I say, Sam, who is dad's peanut butter monster? And he looks back at me and he says, I'm your peanut butter monster. And I say, who's your, my little meatball head? And he says, I'm your little meatball head. Who's my little muskrat? I'm your little muskrat. Who's my little box troll? I'm your little box troll. Some of you are wondering where I, I came up with these nicknames. I, I don't actually remember, but we perhaps should pray for my son after the service. <laughs> Maybe collect a fund for his therapy down the road. I don't know. But, but I... In all seriousness, I, I do do this. And I, I look at my son and I, I say, who's my little bear? And he says, I'm your little bear. And then finally I say, and who's my favorite? And he said, I'm your favorite, Daddy. And, and you, you know, the reason I take us through this ritual each and every night is because I delight in hearing my son acknowledge my love even more than I enjoy telling him so. I delight in hearing him speak back to me that he is accepted and loved even more than I love telling him. There is no greater joy I have as a father than knowing that my son is aware of my delight and my acceptance of him. There's just no greater joy. And, and the same is true of your heavenly father. Do you know that? You, you know, let us not for a second Hold earthly fathers to higher standards than our Father who is in heaven. You know, if this wasn't true about me, if this wasn't true, if I didn't delight in my son's awareness of my acceptance, I probably wouldn't be a great dad by our own standards. And so let us not for a second assume that our Father in heaven doesn't absolutely delight and rejoice when we rest and receive his acceptance. That's his desire for you, and, and that's his desire for you this very day, that I, I really believe that the Lord wants to come and wants to meet some of us today, wants to help us to experience his love and acceptance. You, you know, this perpetual job interview that Christianity has become for you, this was, this was never God's intent for you. You were never meant to be weighed down in this way. It was never intended for you. It's never the Father's heart. By one sacrifice, we're told, he has made perfect forever. He has made righteous forever. He has forgiven forever those who are being made holy. I, I love the way that one pastor put it, and, and I'll close here. He said, if the all-powerful, all-knowing, preeminently mighty God decided to make you clean, how clean are you? How clean are you? Are, are you a little bit clean? You know, are, are you a particularly, you know, tricky case and so you're, you're mostly clean? You know, you got a lot of, got a lot of baggage? Or does the all-powerful God, 
is all-knowing, all-competent, all-sufficient. Is he capable of making you 100% totally clean? There's no sacrifices left to be made. There's nothing left to do. Jesus is already sitting down. We simply have to receive it. And so here's here's what I want to do. I would be remiss if, if I were to, to preach on a text like this and not give some of us a chance to respond. So in just a second, I'm, I'm going to invite some of us here to stand. Some of us here who would say, you know what, I, I, I want this for myself. I, I want to know that I know that I have been made perfect in Jesus. I don't have to know your story at all. I don't have to have met you at all to know that you've, you've got some stuff in your past, just like I've got some stuff in my past. And I believe that there are some here today who would say, you, you know what? I, I need to do this. I, I need to receive from Jesus the, the offer to have my sins paid for, the offer to be made righteous before him. I, I want this. And there might be others of us here today who would say, you know what, I've been around church for a while. I've been around church, but, but I know this is something that I need to do. That, that perhaps you would say, I, I, I've been around, but I know there hasn't been a relationship with Jesus that has made a real difference in my life. Or, or you might say, I, I know that, that I have not been living as if Jesus has made me perfect in him. And, and so if that's where you're at, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to stand in just a moment. I'm not going to make this awkward for you. I'm not going to, you know, do a sing and, and dance around you or anything like that. I'm, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to stand that you might say before the Lord, I, I want to receive this free gift. You know, you're not doing this for me. You're not doing it for Pastor Tom. You're not doing it for whoever you came with. You. This is about you and Jesus. And I, I think it's just important for us to give folks the opportunity to draw, a line, to draw a line in the sand, rather, and say, you know what, I need to do this today. And, and so, is there anyone here today, right now, who would say, I want to receive what, what Jesus has for me. I, I want to have my sins forgiven. I, I want to be perfect in Him. Is there anyone here who would say, I, I need this. Anyone who would say, you know, this is something I need to do. I understand that it's, it's a bit awkward to stand in front of a, a room like this. But again, this isn't about anybody else but you and the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else who would say, you know what, I, I need to do this. I don't care if you've been around for years. I don't care if you've volunteered for years. Or there might be some of us who, who would say, you know what, I, I, I need to do this today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I, I want to draw this out. God bless you. I, I don't want to draw this out too, too long, guys, but I, again, I, I just want to create space for some of us to, to do this business with God.
Well, for those of you who are standing, would you, would you simply pray with me? You can just pray with me in your heart. You don't have to, to speak it out loud, but I'm going to pray, and you can just kind of repeat it back in your own words. So, Jesus, I, I recognize that I need you. And I recognize, Jesus, that I need your sacrifice on the cross for forgiveness and to be made right with God. And so I ask, Jesus, in your name, through your blood, would you forgive me? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit, right now? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit, right now, and would you help me to live for you? Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we all stand now? Here's how I'd like to, to close our, our service. You know, I, one of the things that we say often here at the Vineyard is that we love that there's just space on the back end of our service to, to respond to God. And so there's just a few groups who I would love to, to come forward to, to receive some prayer. And so if you're on our prayer t- team, if you've been trained to pray, can you head to, to either side of the stage? If you've been trained to pray. In just a second, I'm going to invite uh, a few groups forward to, to respond to today's message. Not responding to me, you're not, you're not doing me any favors. This is about you and God. And there's a few groups in particular who I would love to receive prayer. Number one, if you're one of those who just stood, we would love to pray for you. We would love to bless what God is doing in your life. We're not going to give you a counseling session. We're not going to embarrass you. We would just love to pray a blessing over you and pray that, that God would protect you in this time and help you as you move forward. And so if that's you, if you just stood and prayed that prayer with me in just a second, we can invite you to come and receive some prayer. The second group I would love to, to receive some prayer are those of us who would say, I, I really connected with, with that idea, Christian, that, that, that life feels like a perpetual job interview, that there is this lingering sense that there's always more I could be doing. Again, that is a weight that you were never meant to carry. And some of us are, are just feeling drained and quite frankly feeling exhausted by this ever-present demand to do more, to be more. And I, I believe that God wants to free some of us today from these lies. And, and so if that connects with you at all, why not come forward and receive some prayer? And, and then lastly, I, I do believe that there are some here today who who understand in their head what I've talked about today, and yet you've got some mistakes that you made in the past, maybe 20 years ago, that that for whatever reason you just can't seem to get past. And whenever forgiveness is brought up, you understand it cognitively, but it, it just doesn't sink into your heart because you're always, always taunted by this former mistake, by this former habit, by this formal, former pattern. And if that's you, I just believe that God wants to to break you free of that today. Really believe that God wants to free you 
from this lingering sense that because of what you did 10 months ago or 10 years ago, God can't forgive you. That's just a lie that needs to be, that needs to be broken off of you. And, and so if that's where you're at, I'm just going to invite you in just a second to receive some prayer as well. You can come forward and you can receive prayer. You can come forward and, and you can simply kneel in front of the stage if you just want to do business with God. I invite you to do that as well. But I really encourage you, if, if this resonated with you in any way before leaving, why not receive some prayer? And so if any of those groups resonated with you, you can begin to come forward now. We would love to pray for you. And you can come forward over the course of this next song. And for the rest of us, let's, let's worship our Lord and King, the one who has made us perfect forever. <laughs>